0: dublin's talking sport with ken doherty and reggie
1: corrigan
2: sponsored by insuremycars.ie low-cost car insurance specialists see how much you can save at insuremycars.ie on sunshine
3: 106.8 sunshine
4: 106.8
2: Dublin's Talking Sport Welcome to Dublin's Talking Sports podcast with me Ken Doherty and my good friend Reggie Corrigan Thanks for tuning in to catch up on the latest GAA, football, rugby and all the crack Enjoy the show and don't forget, rate and review wherever you get your podcasts
4: So it's time for GAA now and we're just going to have a quick roundup with Declan Drake we
2: begin this week's roundup with our three in a row senior one football champions Kilmacud Croaks, who are, of course, defending champions of Leinster and the All Ireland Series as well. Last Saturday, Robbie Brennan's Purple and Gold took their first steps in defence of those aforementioned titles. They were on the road to Netwatch Cullen Park and Carlow to face the local champions Era Ogue for a place in the last four of the Leinster Club Championship. All in all, a convincing victory for the Stalorgan outfit, won 12 to 4 points. As in the county final, Shane Walsh with the goal for the three in a row champions and they will be back on the road a week tomorrow for their semi-final date with St Mary's of R.D. Staying with football, one matter to be resolved in senior championship affairs: The senior two football final postponed from a few weeks ago at Parnell Park finally takes place tomorrow afternoon at the Nell from 2.30. Clontarf and Fingallians going head-to-head for the right to go back to Dublin's top table in club football next year as champions of that particular division. To the ladies scene now and Kilmacud Croak's ongoing title defence in Leinster. Last week Paddy O'Donoghue's charges reached a second consecutive final. Thanks to their 2-7 to 11 points success over Milltown of Westmead. The final takes place indeed this afternoon at uh, one o'clock at Coralstown-Kinnegad GAA Club. Uh, Nave, Kieran, of awfully standing in their way there of the Dublin champions' aspirations of a second consecutive provincial title. We wish them every success in their endeavours this afternoon. Switching now to hurling, tomorrow is an historic day for Nafina, a recently crowned Senior One Champions. They make their debut in the Leinster Club Hurling Championship when they, like the Croaks ladies, will be travelling to Westmead. This time though, to Cusack Park in Mullingar for a two o'clock start against the Westmead champions Raharney. A team with enough experience at this level over the last number of years, having been crowned county champions four times in the last nine years. Indeed, we wish Neil O'Callaghan, the Nafina players and supporters all the best down there tomorrow afternoon as they bid to maintain their aspiration of adding the Leinster title to the Dublin crown. It is, of course, a vacant Leinster title now with the defeat of uh, Ballyhale Shamrocks in the Kilkenny County final. They losing their Leinster and All-Ireland titles on the same afternoon. Congratulations must be extended this morning too to Crave Kiron, the Duny Kearney men winning the senior two county title by five points last week at the Nell. they defeating St. Jude's by 19 points to 14. So once again, congratulations to them. I'm sure a good night was had by all in the Crave clubhouse. Staying with the small ball game and turning to Camogie, St. Vincent's, they are back in the Leinster final again. The county and provincial queens proving far too strong for Burr over the hour in their last four meeting, 3-13 to 5 points. Ashling Marr and Dublin football player Neve Heatherton with a brace of goals for the Merino ladies. And next up for them is the final against Dixborough of Kilkenny next weekend. Finally this morning we say congratulations to Nafina and Dublin ladies ace Hannah Tyrrell who will be honoured as the Gaelic Reuters ladies football personality of the year reflecting a tremendous year for her personally and with Dublin ladies as they of course regained the Brendan Martin Cup for the first time since 2020. Hannah scoring eight points in the All-Ireland final victory over Kerry at Croke Park and hopefully a good omen for the TG Cahar All-Stars which will be handed out at a function in Dublin next
4: Saturday night and I'm sure a wonderful night it will be as well Declan Uh, no doubt you'll be going along to that yourself Um, yeah thank you for that roundup on all things football as I said earlier in the build up uh, joined in studio of course by the one and only Sean Lane well the football is there um, uh, Sean but of course the county championships in the Hurling are finished but it's on to the provincial championships and uh, there's plenty going off in Munster (laughs) Completely <laughs> so Gunner How did
1: that go? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Reggie. Yeah, yeah. All the county finals are over, and. Uh Ballygunner played Sarsfield, and as we know, Ballygunner have won 10 Waterford County Championships in a row, or the hometown parish of Parrick Manny, Desi Hutchinson, some fantastic names in the sport. They won 220 to 9 points. The sad thing, Reggie, on the other side of the equation, it, it was Sarsfield of Cork who they beat, who won a tremendous uh, Cork County final, beating Middleton 21 points to 19. It's the club of uh, the, the famous poor old Teddy McCarthy who passed away during the year. Mm. But one thing, I just look back there during the week, uh, Reggie, that. Cork, as we know, haven't won a senior hurling final since 2005, but they actually haven't won a club... Hurling final since 2004 mm. Newtown Chandra won it so there's a you know there's a serious look at oneself in particular now they do have the little piece of they won the 220s All-Ireland and that's a good base to work off but you know the game the, the club game the club scene in it got be with the days when you the, the bars the Rockies and the Glen mm. would come out of Cork and go all the way and, and would be you know would be well ahead of everything they met so a, a good look at themselves there but but you know Ballygunner you know they'll have it all to do as well Reggie They're after being drawn in the semi-final away to the that's on at 4 o'clock next next Sunday in Limerick Shane Dowling the uh, famous outfield player is now on goal with Nipirshik and you've also got Mike and Peter Casey and uh, Shane O'Donoghue who played centre back and also played centre field so that's going to be one real tight game uh, next week the other semi-final Killadangan at Tipperary Torles who would have been favourites and fancies from, from, from uh, North uh, tip but uh, Kildangan beat them um, and, and a good thing about this Reggie it didn't go to penalties this went to a, a, a replay right. and we got two cracking games out of it so they're at home to Clonlara of, of Clare so that's the two semi-finals they're not on this weekend Reggie they're on the following weekend it's Leinster Hurling Championship this weekend
4: of course it is and uh, the first one sees Nafine had taken on the Westmead champions Ratharney how do you think that one will go yeah and Declan just covered it there in the tape I mean it's it's a huge game for the we, we had Declan
1: Feeney in studio uh, last week a real Nafina stalwart and do you know fine, they did their celebration and they have plenty of time. We'll say, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. The game is tomorrow. They're actually playing Ratharney and I'll I'll come back to Nafina, but they're playing Ratharney who have 15 um, county championships won in in Westmead. They have a a real live wire up front in Killian Doyle. He scored 111 in the county final. So uh, he'll be hard watched. They beat Lachlan Gales in the final. Um... I just think, though, Reggie Nafina will have too much for them and I'll give you the reasons why. Um, We we pointed out before the county final that Nafina would have to really mind Niall McMurray and... and, um all the other forwards for, for, for Paul Ryan in particular uh, the Nafina backs were well able to do that the two Curry brothers AJ probably had an off day up front for himself uh, but you know there was one game against Kilmockwood where AJ up front got 3-3 the two Curries got 2-15 in the county final so I just think they'll have the backs to put the shackles on the Ratharney forwards and equally I think their own forwards will, will get on top and you have Peter Feeney uh, John Tierney as well in the middle third I, I just think that I think Nafina
4: will get over the line in on that one Reg. Mm, well, a strong history in, uh, in there, so you can see where you would get that idea from. The other ones as well, so we've got uh, Mount Leinster Rangers taking on uh, Loughlin Gales. Yeah, and the interesting one here is that we talked about him last
1: year, that Paul O'Brien, the, the, the former Dublin under-20 manager from Crumlin, is is, is managing uh, Mount Leinster Rangers. They had a comprehensive win in, in the the Carlow County final. They beat St Mullen, who would have a great tradition in, in carlow Um You know, so uh, he'll have them all fired up. Having said that, um, you know, and one piece of pedigree that they do have, the Mount Leinster Rangers did win a Leinster Championship uh, and finished up back in 2013 and 14 in the All Ireland final, but were probably well beaten by Port Tumla. But Mm. they'll be fired up for this. They have a home advantage. But they're really going into the the lines then when they they play all Auckland Gales. They're they're on the back of, and I think Declan said it there, Ballyhale have been beaten for the first time in six years they won five uh, Kilkenny County Championships in a row they'd won four um, uh, Leinster championships in a row. Um, if you look at the best six backs in Kilkenny um, in the county, mm. you know you, you've you've Paddy Deegan, Hulah, and Mikey Butler. All of these play with um, with, with O'Loughlin Gales So mm. they're managed by Brian Hogan, who you know certainly knows his way around. I have probably won six All Irelands as a, a centre half back. Um, I, I'd have to go for O'Loughlin's on on, on this. Um, and you know the fact that you know. Ballyhale certainly when they lose they don't lose in the last minute now having said that over the last two years they did lose to Ballygunner and All-Ireland finally with the last puck of of the game where they conceded a goal Uh, Paddy Deegan got the last puck of the ball the last day against them and they beat them by a point so on the basis of that I'll go with O'Loughlin Gales in this one but I expect Paul O'Brien will
4: have his troops really fired up in Mount Leinster Rangers yeah, the experience, just edging it there in for our Lachlan Gales, but as you said it could really go uh, either way so that, that sounds like it's going to be an absolute cracker of a game as well uh, The other one then, we're looking at uh, Cam Ross and Nace who, who do you think will come out on top there?
1: Yeah, very interesting if I, I take Nace first the, the manager is Tom Mullally funny he was the manager of Mount Leinster Rangers when they, they won the Leinster Championship so he will certainly have a, a lot of understanding on how to get across the line here he's also been the former Wexford under 20 manager he worked with Ballantir ourselves and Ballinteer with, with, with Liam Dunne for a few sessions an excellent manager uh, he'll have a very young uh, Nace team fired up they won their uh, 11th uh, Kildare County Championship they beat Kyle Dove in the final Having said that, Camras, you know, you know, any time you know, my own playing days, you'd always have a Cody playing with Camras or with Leash. David Cody is the manager of Camras. The one thing that they have gone for them, Reg, Clock Balakala were the, the county championships and champions in Leash. Um, cameras found themselves nine points down Reggie at halftime against uh, Clock Balacola fought their way back in the semi-final got level and won on penalties went into the final against um, Abbey Leaks, and unfortunately Abbey Leaks just didn't perform on the day they scored 418 to 14 points was the, the winning margin but having said that year to date they have 15 goals Reggie scored in the, the championship to date that's a hell of a lot yeah. and now sometimes when the, the weather changes and the surface changes the ball does and hop as much, you know. Goals kind of they're not as flu, you know, as frequent. But I I just think that cameras will have just a little bit too much on Nace, who probably need a little bit more experience
4: at this level. Mm, okay, so cameras to come out on top there. And then finally, of course, we see Naveena uh, taking on Kilcormuck. Correctly.
1: yeah Navena it's funny like the Wexford Championship Reggie would, would certainly have been dominated over the last 40, 50, 60, 70 years even between Eulert, Nabala, Ratnur Buffers Alley um, there's other teams that have been winning it this is only Navena who are from Gorey mm. uh, winning it for the second time right. so it, they're, they're, they're you know they're, they're kind of novices at this level but you know they have the the, the captain is Conor McDonald, who we know is real, of, of Wexford fame mm. they, they certainly they've home advantage uh, Tom Alley is the manager so they're, they're going to have a, a right go at this the fact that they came out a couple of years ago and, and didn't make any hay on the other side Kilcormac Kaleohe um, they've won five Offaly championships now the beach this year Reggie and I honestly don't know the score but I do know when I was following it was a 3.23 or 4 to 7 or 8 points so nice. they're miles ahead of Watson Offaly they have this fella Adam Screeny he's the talk of the town he was on the minor team that went to the All-Ireland final you might remember the the famous goal where the, the Tipperary lad just poked the ball in the air and this fella came in like a sword and yep. scored a goal so he was on that team he's the Best young inside forward I've seen in, in in years. They were beaten in the under twenty final as well by Cork last year. But very interesting enough, they've they've won five Offaly County championships. Of the five they've won, they've gone to three Leinster finals. Mm. Ballyhale beat them in one, Coola mm. beat them in another and went on and won the All Ireland, oh, which, which is no shame. But <laughs> they actually beat Owlert Nabala as well in a right. final. And I remember the day they went to the All Ireland final they were playing Thomases of Galway and it was the day that Ballymun were beaten by Bridgets with a last minute point in the football Um, but they only lost by two points to to Thomases. Uh, So, you know, they're not afraid of this competition. Mm. Um, You know, they have a 60 cent per you know success rate in getting to a final, getting over the line, particularly with the opposition I outlined, uh, was always going to be difficult. But you know, I I I'll, I'll actually go with Kilcarmick on, on this one, and right. um, they might just shade it. But you know, outside of the provinces, then you know, in in Derry and 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 in 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 Antrim, you, you've Rory Ogs of Dahl came out of uh, Antrim, and and you've um, um, uh, in Derry. Um, Schlock Neal, who won the 11th championship in a row, have come out. So that's going to be interesting. And don't forget Galway's St. Uh, Thomas's have won five. Galway County Championships in a row so <laughs> uh, and they have a, a, you know one match away from a final they, You know they're, they're going to be so, so there's loads of games to play Reggie loads of excitement fantastic. and this is the one competition that gets parishes up on their feet going to matches grandsons grandmothers fathers Everywhere. sons and someone playing yeah. it's a br- brilliant competition
4: they'll be, they'll be burning uh, little bales <laughs> at the side of the road up and down the country there's no question about it Sean as always absolutely fantastic uh, coverage there of everything that's going on this week If you didn't know about it beforehand, you certainly know all about it now. Okay, that's uh, the GA for this week. Okay, it's time for football now, and there is certainly plenty going on uh, here in Ireland in the football sphere. I'm delighted to be joined on the line now with the one and only Alan Colley. Good morning, Alan. How are you?
0: I'm good,
4: Reggie. Welcome back. Ah, listen, it's great to be back. I have to say, uh, fantastic, enjoying the show. Great chatting to everybody and catching up on all things. Uh, But um, I know sooner, come back, and there's another crisis in the FAI. It seems to be uh, non-stop uh, between scandals for overpayments and now boards um, voting and causing uh, possibilities of losing funding. What's going on? Yeah, it's
0: just, um, especially in a week, Reggie, when there should be Irish football should be celebrating the fact that we're going to break the record for the FEI Cup final. There's over 40,000 tickets sold. It's our showpiece day tomorrow in the Aviva. Yeah. And that should be all that people are talking about in terms of Irish football this week. But as you say, we're we're brilliant at shooting ourselves in the foot. And these stories, one, the first one broke, I think, on Thursday night uh, about, the, obviously, the, at the EGM in terms of the board members, and... Um, trying to vote through the split to have seven and seven football people and and independent directors and obviously that wasn't voted through in terms of the gender quota that that the government have asked for so there was a big kind of uh, negative publicity around that and then just when you think it can't get any worse then the story breaks last night of of obviously overpayments to the CEO now from what I gather he he either has repaid them the 20,000 or he's going to repay them and according to Jerry McEnany the president. The situation is resolved, but it's just the optics of it again, Reggie, waking up to news on the papers and the front papers and social media of financial problems or financial issues and overpayments. Just when you think the the, the organisation is getting its house in order, the optics of it just look terrible again.
4: Yeah, you'd you'd have to ask the question of how can that possibly happen? I know it's in relation to commuting back and forth from London and uh, benefit and kind expenses and all these various different things. But, I mean, you would have thought, given everything that's happened, that there would be absolute scrutiny of every transaction now to make sure that there wasn't anybody going over their, their, their salary caps or their pay deals.
0: Yeah, 100% Reggie, you know, it should be so forensic um, the way things are dealt with nowadays and I, and to be fair, over the last two or three years we were all getting the impression that things are being taken mm. care of and, and the situation is well under control in terms of the financial situation because everybody knows they're relying on the government for bailouts you are relying on the funding from Sport Ireland just to keep things above board and keep the ship afloat so as you say, for this to arise now and even though they're saying it is resolved and that it was a technical situation or whatever that, that Jerry McEnany said in his statement, it just the optics of it look terrible again because the general public looking in are thinking, here we go again, when will this organization ever sort itself out and, and how can we ever have faith in this organisation moving forward to progress the game? Like we're well behind already in terms of the other European countries because of I suppose the legacy issues that have been left behind from the John Delaney era. And just when you think, as I say, Jonathan Hill is in now as the CEO, who I think is a very decent man, very credible in any time I've seen him um, in terms of his public persona and anything that that he's done so far, just the optics of it look desperate, Reggie.
4: And and the other optics then, leaving aside that uh, with the overpayments to Hill and we'll take it at face value that it was just um, oversight or whatever way you want to look at it and, and, and leave those optics. The other optics, I mean, we're talking about 4.35 million euro per year in funding from the government. They're going to the government with their hand out looking for more money. Um, yet a vote goes through whereby they knew what has to happen in this vote they know that there's a quota you won't get the money without it it's not like this is a shock to anybody that you you know you don't get the quota right you're not going through uh, and 38 of the 114 delegates vote no and and, and the the What's being said is that it's kind of suits versus track suits, and people trying to protect their own positions um, within the organisation. But no one will have any position if there's no funding.
0: Absolutely, Reggie. And they all know the situation. As you say, it's been laid out on the table for them and everybody knows exactly what needs to happen uh, to have that gender quota. I couldn't believe it when the vote didn't go through again. But as always in Irish football, and we've seen it for years and years, self-interest takes hold Reggie and as you said people trying to protect their own little positions in their own little corners it becomes political nobody is thinking of the greater good of the game and how are we ever going to progress when you have people involved like this now Mm. from what I'm hearing it wasn't based on the gender quota the 7v7 split it was more based on uh, I think the LFA and the colleges and universities wanting 8 football people and 6 independent so they want the split of 8 and 6 rather than 7v7 now, I think it will go through because it has to go through. It can't fail. Yeah. But again, the optics of it, Reggie, as I said, in a week when we should be celebrating, like there's enough negativity around Irish football for years. Yeah. Plenty of people want to kick it. Fully justified in a lot of cases. But this is a week to celebrate the fact that it's our showpiece day tomorrow. We're going to break the record. There's going to be an unbelievable crowd celebrating the game tomorrow. And here we are with just negative stories. And, and, and two stories that I feel could
4: have been easily avoided. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, they need to sort it out and, and sort it out quickly. Let's get on to tomorrow. Let's be positive and happy because, um, as you said, a huge crowd my own kids are going to a uh, m- fantastic gaming store. That's the only way to put it. How do we, we, how, how do you see it unfolding?
0: Yeah, I can't wait, Reggie. I'm really looking forward to it for all those reasons that we said. It's going to be an amazing occasion, unbelievable crowd. But most importantly, the game itself, I think, will be very good because you have two teams uh, who were fairly evenly matched. Now, based on form, obviously, you would probably favour Saint Pat's because they finished third in the table. But their form since Sean Daly has taken over has been absolutely brilliant. Whereas Bo's form in that probably the second half of the season has been nowhere near as good as the start that they got off that. So you would slightly favour saying Pats on form But in a cup final and a one-off situation, anything can happen And I think with Declan Devine at the helm as well There's pressure on him, there's pressure on both Because they know that to get European football, they have to win tomorrow eh, Because obviously they missed out in the league situation And if Pats wins, Shells get that European place. So there's huge pressure on them but I'm kind of favouring Pat for the reasons I said in terms of form, and John Daly since he's come in, he's done an unbelievable job.
4: Yeah, oh, well, that's uh, going to be an interesting one. I know one thing: the last time I was at the Bulls game, the colour and uh, the same with the Pats, uh, the colour on both sides and the atmosphere and the uh, the noise levels. It was absolutely fantastic. So um, I think uh, you know, for anybody that's uh, even thinking about it, get along. It'll be a, a wonderful occasion and it's decent value as well. Um, so yeah, well, you're going Pats. So we'll see. We'll see how that unfolds. Um, good news as well for Waterford winning promotion an extra time against Cork City
0: yeah it's great for Waterford I watched the match it was a great game Reggie it was almost like watching a different sport when you don't have VR. <laughs> and when a penalty gets given you feel oh there's a penalty it's not going to be overheard yeah. or when a goal goes in and a fella celebrates you think well that's a goal <laughs>
4: it's brilliant isn't it
0: It is. honestly Reggie yeah. Like I'm sure we're going to get on to VR, but it's ruining the game at the moment it really is but from Waterford's point of view last night they obviously knew one off game, they had to win, they've come through the hard route because the first division teams have to go through a semi-final and a final of their own before they get to the playoff game. And uh, they played really well on the night, they probably should have been ahead before they went behind with two or three great chances. Then they showed real character in coming back after going the goal behind. And then it took them the to winner an extra time. They got a penalty. Ronan Coughlin, showing all his experience, stepping across Coleman wins the penalty, and he tucks it away himself. So I was delighted for Waterford. Keith Long, the manager, and Alan Reynolds, his assistant, them back in the Premier Division. And Cork have just been so poor all year, the on and off the pitch. There's been really poor decisions, and I think this is a result of that. It wasn't just they didn't just obviously the game last night cost them their place, but I think it's been a culmination of things on and off the pitch and this is your the bigger picture result is that you get
4: yourself relegated okay well we don't have a huge amount of time but you did mention VAR I said it earlier in the rugby slot that I feel uh, the TMO is getting too involved in rugby it was brought in to um, decide on tries whether they were or they weren't and now it's you know I agree with the safety element of it and foul play element of it that's fine but it's gone a bit too far in its remit now it needs to be reeled back in and definitely the same can be said for um, football it's it, it's making a bit of of a farce of the game now, isn't it?
0: A hundred percent, Reggie. As I said, it was like watching a different game last night. I watched the game during the week. Uh, obviously, it was the Chelsea Spurs game. You had the United penalties, and VR is involved more than the players nowadays. It's, 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 and it's a really difficult watch, as you say. The interference, and and I kind of feel for a referee on the pitch because they're not being helped; they're being undermined yeah. totally. And instead of the referee just making the decision and and letting him deal with what's going on on the pitch I'm sure his head is frazzled because he probably feels every decision he makes there's a there's a call coming into his ear that you need to check this check that the stop start nature of the game the joy being taken out of it of of that kind of moment when you score a goal and that euphoria all that's gone out of the game yeah and it's a difficult difficult watch, ready and something needs to be done about it
4: absolutely yeah. Well, uh, take it out is the, is the answer take it out goal line technology fair enough if it's over the line or it's not yeah. I'll go with that but take everything else out because at this a- anything stage anything
0: that's definitive Reggie it's where it's the subjective stuff yes. because it's a fella's opinion up in a box against the fella's opinion on the pitch or my opinion at home or your opinion at home anything like that just let the, the game wasn't that bad before this
4: Oh, absolutely not. I mean, there was the odd mistake made with offsides and everything else and, you know, there was, but that was part of the game as well, you know, that was part of the whole talking point of it. So uh, it's the same in rugby and I feel the same way. Um, It's time to talk rugby and I'm delighted to be joined on the line now by the one and only Dan Van Zyl. Good morning, Dan. How are you? Gee, very well in yourself ah wonderful wonderful <laughs> i haven't had a chance to talk to you Dan since the fantastic World Cup victory uh, <laughs> congratulations that's the first thing I have to say to you well done it must be great to be world champions again
5: ah thank you not that I had anything to do with it but uh, it was a great win and you know the obviously the World Cup was a great spectacle in itself but but you have been quiet for the two weeks you know because the last time we spoke you were still very confident about uh, Ireland's chances and so was I. But, you know, at it as it turned out, I think it was a great occasion. Um, you know, and three one point wins. Uh, I don't think, <laughs> I think a lot of uh, heartache was taken as well through that, you know.
4: Yeah, no, it was a, a superb uh, campaign from South Africa, managed really well by all of the management. They came in for all sorts of critical analysis is the way I'd put it. People were wondering about their different splits on benches and methodology and things that they were doing, but none of it matters now because the trophy is making its way around South Africa on a brilliant tour. I mean they're, they're, the the scenes coming from South Africa and the tour itself of the trophy going around and the crowds turning out. Um, I don't I, I know uh the likes of Sia Khaleesi and plenty of other players said all along how much this would mean to South Africa, but when you see the pictures and the scenes, it's hard to believe how much it actually does mean
5: Uh, Rich, I I think excuse me, I think there's not many people, unless you've been to South Africa and unless you've lived there and so on, that actually understands what the country is about and that sport does bring the country together, you know, and and it's not it's not just uh, them saying it, it it is actually that sport unites them, you know, and for a short period of time and they'll go back into the troubles and and so on, but that's why it was so important uh, for the guys to win it and it is really a case of the whole country behind them and I'm speaking to my folks and and so on and, you know, for the last two months it was um, Springbok jerseys every Friday in school where every kid, you know, wears a Springbok jersey and you know, just everybody supporting supporting the team. So it is it is brilliant in that sense that that sport can still do that.
4: Yeah, no question, no question. So it'll be, uh, yeah, it's great, and uh, there'll be great world champions for the four years um, uh, flying the flag and literally uh, representing uh, rugby overall. Um, the World Cup itself apart from the wonderful success of South Africa, was it a success as a competition? Did you feel the game uh, got to a wider audience? Uh, was it positive overall?
5: For me, it was a huge success, you know. Now, I'm probably more attacking-minded than defence-minded, and I think that came through in the in the World Cup, you know. I mm. think uh, sides wanted to play more rugby than in, in previous uh, World Cups. I mean, even South Africa, you know, I think they were... Although everybody has got a perception, you know, they were number nine or number 10 of the teams that kicked the most, you know, so they didn't kick as much as what they previously would have done and so on. But I guess the small unions that came through, the rugby that they played, Portugal and Uruguay and, and those sort of sides, I think that opened up new audiences. And I guess the only negative thing, and look, our game is very... Uh, you know, without them, we we don't have a game. But seeing Wayne Barnes retire of all the abuse that he's got and, and so on, I think that's probably the refereeing standard and how people treat the referees. I think that was probably the negative out of the tournament.
4: OK, well, I wanted to come on to that next uh, to talk to you about that, because even last night... Um, I saw this morning Frank Murphy coming in for criticism after the Ulster Munster game and um, I actually sent a tweet out myself after the World Cup I think I think it's completely gotten out of hand what's going on with the uh, referee situation. I mean, there are mistakes being made. There's no question about that uh, in in rugby by referees. But I'm not blaming the referees for this. I'm actually blaming World Rugby and the powers that be. They've made it so complicated a game to referee now. There are so many laws, so many uh, changes and so much for them to watch. Not to mention overuse of the TMO uh, that it's yep. just becoming impossible to be a referee in rugby
5: no I I would agree with you you know and it was probably if you speak to the old guards again it was probably easier in the in the years gone by when they were the sole judge yeah. you know now it's so much relying on, on different people and even the TMOs made some mistakes on, on this World Cup and I go back when I was a 10 year old you know in South Africa it, played a 1981 tour in New Zealand and, you know, uh, South Africa felt that uh, the decision at the end of the game to clinch the series for New Zealand was the wrong one. But you just take that, you know, in the spirit of the game and and so on. And I do think, you know, and it's filtering through to to schools rugby, to club rugby and all of that, you know. And I I honestly feel for the referees and especially uh, at the top level, as you say the criticism that they come under and then including their families and and all of that but i agree i think there's a lot of laws that can can go out of the game you know to make the game easier um and so on for, uh, for the referees but but i will almost bring it back well, the safety element of it, but I will almost bring it back to the refuge, the sole judge.
4: I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, um, it sounds like maybe we're the old old guard and, and for that reason we're both. You know, in my m- memory, if I, I, I'm fairly sure I have it right, the idea of the TMO was brought in to judge whether or not the try had been scored and I thought that was a fantastic uh, innovation and addition to the game because oftentimes it was very very difficult for the referee to make that judgement so that was a brilliant addition but more and more has been put in on the TMO where they're going back they're calling lineouts where there was knock-ons uh, five and six plays beforehand foul play absolutely use the TMO for that if there's a blatant for the safety of the game like you say use the TMO but bring it back to just being for the scoring of tries, the safety of players where there's blatant foul play and leave everything else up to the officials that are on the pitch at the time and also this business, Dan and I've seen more and more of it of of back chat to referees and uh, it's creeping more into the game and peeling for cards and almost diving at times looking for for cards for players Yeah,
5: no, and I think that's wrong, that sends a negative message out, you know, and look, captains can probably do that. But players mm. going up to refs and say that should be a yellow card yeah. and so on. The yeah. sideline behaviours, all of that. So, no, I think it's a really thing that, that needs to be addressed. But I don't think it must be addressed just by referees or just by coaches. I do think, and even in amateur land, in domestic land, I've always been a guy that, that said, you know, bring the refs and the and the players uh, and the coaches together. And, you know, have a discussion around that. Because without them, we don't have a game. But I've got the same feeling. I think it should just be um, for the the tries. And if you look at the Cricket World Cup and how easy their process is of seeing if a guy is out or not, I can't understand why that can't be in rugby
4: as well. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, we're agreed on that. Um, right, let's, let's turn our attention to current things. The World Cup's over. Um, the URC is underway. Won't be long now till we're looking at Champions Cup. But there is a changing of the guard across uh, quite a bit of the landscape of rugby. Um, you know, the likes of Johnny Sexton going. Uh, the Six Nations is going to be very interesting this year to see what that brings, who that brings, who uh, Andy Farrell will put his faith in. Um, what do you make of the landscape at the moment? I mean, if you look at the game last night, Munster were very disappointing in their game against Ulster, but Ulster were, were good to come back from behind and get the win. Um how do you how do you see the current state of the Irish provinces?
5: Yeah, I think the Munster Munster had the first half in control and then Ulster probably clicked into second half. But I do think, you know, for me the URC is gonna be between the South African sides and um the Irish sides with Glasgow in between, I think, you know. And again, playing positive rugby, I think that's a big change in Ulster Munster. And Connacht, for that matter, you know, is is the positiveness in in which they play the game. There's a lot of young guys coming through through the academy systems. The success that the Irish Twenties have had in the last what is it three Grand Slams in five years and so on. So all those players are keen to to play and and put their mark on things. So I think it can be very exciting, you know. But if you look at the team sheets and you look at the quality of players, um. I think some of them actually, you know, if you compare them to the Leinsters and so on again, they probably don't have the quality in the in the right positions, you know. For me, Ulster fly off I think is a is a problem for them. You know, they've they've addressed their front row with Kitsov coming coming in there and mm. signing a guy like Greg McGraw who 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 will play a lot of games for them. But I think fly-off is is the one that that's always let them down in on the big occasions, and and Munster is probably the other side. Munster's front row uh, and midfield, you know, you can argue is their weakness. You know, a lot of good back rows, a lot of good second rows. So, so I don't know how that is going to pan out over the season. But I don't think teams have addressed their weaknesses strongly enough. You know, they've improved their squads, but their weaknesses I think could have been addressed better
4: and for our Irish fans there you mentioned uh, out half issues in Ulster and obviously the Irish fans will be thinking the similar um, situation with Johnny Sexton retiring now or retired now Um, Crowley, obviously, the air incumbent. Um, Where does Ross Byrne line up? What about Harry Byrne? There's the likes of Prendergast. There seems to be a lot of names. I know Joey Carby's picked up another injury, unfortunately, for him. But there's a lot of names around that 10 jersey. But I suppose Crowley would be the man in charge at the moment?
5: I think if you think back to when Sexton came on the scene and so on, I think Crowley has got that same... Uh, I don't wanna say aura, you know, but he, he demands he demands stuff from from the people that he plays with, you know. So I think I think Crowley is the man in charge and, you know, I think he'll play quite a number of test matches. But uh other than him, as you say, it's gonna be interesting to see what Leinster does, you know, do they stick with Ross Byrne? Um, because Ross is not gonna take Ireland forward for it for that matter, you know, or are they gonna go with Prendergast and, and Harry Byrne? And uh, they look to seem or seem to be playing Frawley, uh mostly at fullback now, because he's another one that could probably step in there. But but only time will tell, and it will be interesting to see the names that that's going to be there for for the Six Nations, you know, because Jack Darty or JJ Hanran might come into that. But I do think it 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 is in that position, and it happens when a when a great retires that you know you've got to give time For the other players now to to develop in that position.
4: Okay, we haven't mentioned Leinster yet and the URC. They've got an incredible squad, as they always do. I felt last year they made a dreadful mistake in their USA campaign. I was fairly vociferous at the time in saying it. I felt that they didn't pay enough respect to Munster in that semi-final. They should have picked their first starting team um, in that game, and they paid the price. And I think they let another title slip through their fingers because of that. I understood why they had the Champions League uh, the following week and everything else. I don't feel they're likely to make that same mistake this this time around. Do you?
5: No, but it is a difficult <clears throat> it is a difficult one. You know, you go back to to the World Cup in that sense. South Africa almost lost the semi final to England because I I felt they overplayed the guys and the emotion that they came off from the previous week and so on. You know, so I can understand why they mix teams up and the other players are of quality that you expect them to perform but on the day they probably just uh, didn't perform but I do think Leinster's desire is going to go up a notch again uh, you know and with Jacques Ninabe coming in I think he'll play a part in that but in saying that all the youngsters I think they feel it's now their time yeah. you know it's yeah. been four years five years you know uh, who's going to drive it on And uh, and and I think you'll see I mean the likes of Jamie Osborne and so on they just last week in the performance that he had and so on so I think you know you'll see you'll see the youngsters step up uh, into that position or certainly so I hope.
4: Yeah but they you know their domestic competition is the URC they've uh, they need silverware you've got you've got to be commanding that league when you are Leinster. I mean they're regarded up there as in the top 3 in Europe. There there's no yeah. Now, they may not be number one, uh, but they're certainly in the top three, and you 've got to be winning your domestic c- competition if you 're that. I get the difficulty of Europe and the powerhouses that you're up against um in France in particular uh, so I get that 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 's uh, always touch and go every year whether or not you can win that, but they need a title this year in the in the URC.
5: no i I would agree, I would agree you know, and I think that's why you know it's got to come from within. You know, I think the other leadership needs to stand up. The younger guys, you know, that's coming into those those roles. Um but I but I do think they, they'll have they'll have enough again uh, you know, to be in the playoffs and then as you say, it's just just a question of, of doing it on the day then.
4: Yeah, finally, uh, Ringrose and Ryan named uh, co-captains. I suppose a nod to the future, um, and also possibly, you know, thinking of from an Irish point of view as well. I mean, they're the two standout names that would be uh, on on a team sheet. So gaining experience in that way.
5: Yeah, I know it's an interesting one the co-captains, uh, you know, and then you look at at the guys that's captaining the team as well, the Scott Penneys and Sheehan's and so on. So I think there's a lot of leadership in there, but Ringrose have done it in the past, James Ryan obviously have captained Ireland as well. Um, so Leinster have everything uh, going for them, you know. They have the other other strong leaders within the pack and and in the back, so um, an interesting choice to make co-captains
4: but
5: uh, again I can, I can see benefits in that as well
4: uh, Time to turn our attention to NFL now I'm delighted to be joined on the line by the one and only Stephen O'Brien
3: Morning Stephen, how are you? I'm good Reg, um, I'm a bit nervous though are you nervous because the way
4: you hung up on Ken and wanted to hang up with me as well? I can, know, you, I can assure you, I can assure you, it wasn't it wasn't me. I think he forgot to charge <laughs> the phone. Uh, it's always to touch and go on a Saturday morning with Ken, whether or not he, he remembers the, the phone has to be charged. <laughs> but uh, no, I would never do that to you, Stephen. Never. Thank um, you, yeah, no, good to chat to you. We've been away for a while, so all is good. Great to be back and uh, great to be ch- back t- chatting NFL uh, with you. Um, the Packers halted a four game losing streak beating the Rams last week is there any hope for the season
3: oh I hope so and you've been gone so long though you left when the Packers were losing and you come back and they win yeah. uh, so I think you just need to take another hiatus to be honest <laughs> Reg I think we're you know that's that's the depths we're going now rosary beads are coming out uh that, I hope so look the the start of the season was odd it was never going to be smooth anyway Reg because Aaron Rodgers goes off to the Jets Um, we let an awful lot of sort of veteran experienced players on offense go it's kind of reminiscent of and you were talking about David Beckham there you know like Fergie's young lads where they come in and it's Nicky Butt and Skolzies and all the rest and that's kind of the way the the Packers are approaching their offense they're getting the young lads in they're one of the youngest teams in the NFL not only that then everyone got injured you know the one veteran guy that they had that they were going to depend on on offense which is Aaron Jones the running back he got a hamstring injury so he was out and when he was back in he was on a pitch count So, I mean, it's all of that stuff mixed in together, right? And then it's the fact that the Packers, you know, the start of the game is scripted, um, and they weren't doing well there, and they were going down, like, heavy early. And when you do that in the NFL, it takes away certain parts of your game plan. You know, you can't run the ball. The the Packers couldn't do it anyway because Aaron Jones was injured, but you can't run the ball because you're running time off the clock. Um, So there's NFL rules there. And when you throw the ball and it falls uh, sort of uncatched, let's say, Mm. uh, the play clock stops and that's what you try to do when you're behind heavy because if you keep running the ball it keeps running the time off the clock but look Aaron Jones was back fully uh, last week and we came up against an LA Rams team that's not great uh, the quarterback's not great, the, the running back was you know, their second string running back um, so look it's positive, it's positive in the sense that the Packers got their full starters back in Aaron Jones, they're healthy now uh, they're not playing catch up in games I don't know if it'll keep translating but they're coming up against the Steelers this week uh, and they go to Pittsburgh for that game and the Steelers on paper look way better right? they're 5-3 and three, um, so their record's better than the Packers but they pretty much fall behind the Packers in every other metric so I think this is the real test Reg we'll see if they can win in Pittsburgh which is a hard place to play mm. and if they win there there is a bit of hope for the season I think
4: Okay, well, that's good. I mean, uh, having youth there um, that's you know, gaining experience, I suppose it's fair to say, maybe yeah. a, a season of consolidation and bring them forward then yeah. might be the plan.
3: I think so. Yeah, okay. I mean, it, it does work that way. And look, they've been up against adversity. It, the, sometimes the worst thing that can happen in life, not only sports, Reg, is that the first time you try something and you're very good at it. Because then you don't face that adversity, you get a false sense of being great, and then when you start getting those setbacks, you don't know what to do with yourself. So, mm. look, hopefully struggles early on and success later.
4: Excellent. Okay, well, no such struggles it seems for a rookie quarterback, CJ Stroud for the Texan, Texans, um, making the NFL look easy, yeah. they're saying, and other quarterbacks look back. Tell us about them.
3: Yeah, I mean, you look at look. That's the thing with Jordan Love. You know, you're looking at him for the Packers, and he's sat behind Aaron Rodgers. And then you see, and you go, well, look, give him time it's hard. And then CJ Stroud comes out and absolutely rips up the NFL. You know, because last Sunday really put it on show. He went 75 yards in the last 46 seconds. Very reminiscent of Aaron Rodgers with a comeback win over Tampa Bay. He sets the NFL rookie record with 470 passing yards. His passer rating is the highest ever uh, by a rookie quarterback in NFL history. Um, and then aside from the rookie records. He's only the sixth player ever to throw for 450 yards and five touchdowns with no interceptions. There's only five other players that did that, which is just insane. So look, it's players like him, and I know you've asked me on the radio before, Reg, was like you know, especially when Aaron Rodgers was struggling. What's so difficult about us? you know, because some lads make it look easy, and this is a guy that makes it look easy, and he's a rookie. Um, he doesn't have a cast around him, Reg. That's fantastic, we have to say, but he's still coming in and showing that. You know, if if it can be done, it will be done, and it takes a really special talent. And we've seen guys come in like Patrick Mahomes, um, and here this guy seems like another one. So much so that uh, in my doomed AKA, I have him going against the odds and winning in the game. But uh, just a pleasure to watch. One of those guys, Reg that shouldn't be playing as good as he is, but has come in now. Whether he'll keep it up or not, I don't know. But the records so far stand for themselves.
4: Sometimes it's the uh, the bliss of youth where you don't have yeah. the pressures maybe hitting you exactly. yet so far and and all that goes along with that where you're just out there loving the game and enjoying it for what it is uh, before people get into his head too much. So maybe that's. I agree, it's going Red, because
3: like, sometimes the veterans you know too much, and we've seen quarterbacks that have come in and they get sacked so much, mm. um, and they get scared, they get sort of trigger happy in the behind the line. So uh, a young lad, as you say, will sit back, sit in the pocket and doesn't know what danger is in sometimes so mm. they make all the plays but look long may it continue because anyway, it's fantastic to see
4: great stuff okay uh, the Raiders coach Raiders a team I used to support way back when we're talking uh, the late 80s here I was in LA on a, on a J1 and uh, the Raiders were my team when they were in the Rose Bowl oh, we have to
3: see the pictures Fred. yeah you would yeah, see there's some pictures,
4: the pictures alright there's something <laughs> else in a sleeveless uh, in a sleeveless t-shirt <laughs> I'll put it to you that way with a Raiders oh, yeah. cap on me but anyway plenty of tailgate parties back in those days there were good times in 100 degrees heat but I see uh, their head coach Josh McDaniels fired last week uh, yeah. and then they go on and they win with the new interim coach
3: Yeah uh, again another one of those things where like we were talking about the quarterbacks you look at it and go look the NFL's really hard you, you can't you need a coach who's been in the game a long time and not a first timer and like the interim coach comes in it's just about putting out fires and Josh McDaniels he played under Bill Belichick so he's one of he's a long line of Bill Belichick and I don't really need to give Belichick his props, Um, but there's a Belichick coaching tree, and he was seen as kind of almost the top of it because he was seen as the mastermind reg of uh, Tom Brady because we were told for years Tom Brady's only good because of Bill Belichick and because of Josh McDaniels coming in, and there was documentaries about the Super Bowl, and there's plenty of them with the Patriots, where they talk about where they went through a struggling patch and Josh McDaniels came in and cooked up this scheme and they got back to winning again. But again, like he got sacked, and apparently... They all try to sort of emulate Bill Belichick, but it never works. And we've seen it over the years, like uh, Romeo Cronell and Eric Mangini and Bill O'Brien and Matt Patricia, Brian Flores. All of these guys played and coached under Bill Belichick, and it just simply didn't work. So the Raiders, they're a bit trigger-happy when it comes to the coaches anyway. If you don't perform it in a small period of time, they kind of get rid of you. But, I mean, this is some change. They get rid of Josh McDaniels. Uh, they get rid of the GM, Dave Ziegler. They get rid of the offensive coordinator, Mick Lombardi. They bring in an interim head coach who was, who was a coach in the building, but he hasn't got a lot of experience. Not only that, Reg, they benched Jimmy Garoppolo, mm. who again was seen as the successor to Tom Brady in New England. They put in a rookie, Aiden O'Connell, and they absolutely waxed the Giants last week. Mm. So it's incredible to see that energy coming in. And like, there's all these videos got released of the Raiders' sort of locker room, and they're all basically celebrating after Josh McDaniels had went. And you probably know this more than anybody, Reg, being you know, in the game, that you'll have coaches who have a very militant a very exact way of going on and sometimes that can stifle a team and I think that's what happened with Josh McDaniels everything had to be so exact uh, he had no budge and apparently just before he left all the coaches got together and and told him what's what and apparently he was a shell of him former self and then they sacked him anyway And mm. um, but I, spe- I guess you're the one to speak to that Reg and I know there were some Irish coaches that were deemed that way with rugby right where they were so rigid that you were actually afraid to play
4: well, towards the end of his time, I think Joe Schmidt maybe had developed a bit of a reputation like that. But mm. the thing is, though, that method does work for a while, and uh, yeah. sometimes it's necessary, sometimes it's needed. Uh, if, if, if a situation is somewhat of a basket case and it needs to be put in some decent structures then discipline and uh, structure yeah. is that that type of coach is needed but um, if it comes at the expense of stopping flair or stopping uh, you know as you say that, that little bit of brilliance well then it's it, it, it runs its time it's, it's a strange yeah, set it, it Reg- it's a fine
3: balance it's you a fine balance you need to adapt balance. I mean you need to come in ride the ship and then you probably yeah. need to ease off a bit exactly but, step back uh, yeah. Do, yeah.
4: And, and, and funnily enough I think that maybe what Joe Schmidt did to an extent with the All Blacks uh, you know mm. uh, and, and they were getting criticised but they still got to there uh, yeah. th- and almost and almost won a World uh, Cup Power yeah. Rankings um, we're halfway through the season who's the good the bad and the ugly?
3: Yeah uh, yeah. look it's it's the same old name sometimes you see so Philadelphia Eagles I mean they have to be top they're 8-1 uh, Baltimore Ravens playing fantastic football as well Kansas City Chiefs had a bit of a blip Uh, but they got back to their winning ways in Germany. Um, And then there is some shockers in there, though, that we don't usually talk about. So the Jacksonville Jags, and I have them in Iraq. Probably this is the week they're loose. Uh, But the Jacksonville Jags are playing really well. They just seem like they're playing all-together football. You know, they're going up against tough teams, and they're pulling out the win. The Detroit Lions, um, there's a bit of a question mark around them because they suffered a pretty grisly loss recently. Uh, But again, they're in the Packers division. They're very, very good. So they're kind of up the top, but wallowing in the bottom, surprisingly, are some teams that we haven't seen as of late, yeah. anyway, the Arizona Cardinals, Reds are 1-8. And, uh, and that's because Kyler Murray, their quarterback, their tiny, tiny quarterback, has been injured. So, but look, he's back from injury now, and they should be doing well. The New York Giants kind of shocked the league last year, uh, but they're not doing good this year. They're 2-7, and, and that's compounded by the fact that Daniel Jones, their quarterback, has got an ACL tear. And most shocking is the New England Patriots. They're 2-7, and seven, which is the worst Bill Belichick has done. And in fact, he was fielding questions this week. And last week about is he fighting for his job? Which did you ever think? Cause mm. Look, we've been on the radio. All and the names, yeah. Oh, for ten years in a row, Rich. And yeah. now we're looking at Bill Belichick. He's the all master. He's the Zen master. He knows all. But now he's actually fighting for his job, apparently, which is the first time he's ever been in that uh, situation. Now, look, there was the talk about that he got an off-season extension to of his contract, but they're still sort of asking him. Look, if this skid continues, um, you know that's bad. And the Packers probably see themselves somewhere in the bottom 20, but I'll probably end the power rankings there, Regis, that's okay.
4: Okay, we'll leave it at that. So tell me, uh, for the ACA, uh, you have a nice little 6-1 to uh, ACA on the cards and it doesn't look as complicated as ones in the past. Tell me about it.
3: (laughs) I know, yeah. I won't be talking for seven minutes trying to explain myself. Look, these are outright bets. We don't usually get outright bets because the odds are so bad. We we were used to do outright bets, Reg, and we'd have to put seven in. And it was always impossible. Look, these are against the odds. It's 6-1. to one. It's a 10 or down, 70 back. Playing the spread is always really tricky, right? So this is not spread related. Mm-hmm. I have the Texans to beat the Bengals, right? This is big odds. But I was talking about CJ Stroud earlier. He's playing fantastic. The Bengals are on fire. They're one of the best teams in the NFL. But I think the Texans could have their number here and cause the upset. And then the second game, there's only two in the ACA, is the Jags to beat the Niners. Um, I can't believe actually that the Niners are favourites in this game because they're very unconvincing lately. Uh, Brock Purdy, their quarterback, has not been playing well. Uh, although we started off the season like amazing and I think that the Niners team are actually still a really good squad but again they're not healthy and the Jaguars are on fire as well so I'm tipping the Texans to go against the odds beat the Bengals and the Jags to beat the banged up Niners team
4: Excellent well we love a bit of underdog stuff on this show so we'll go with the underdogs this week and hopefully that'll come through as always Stephen a pleasure chatting to you good to be back here talking to you again and we'll catch up with you again very soon
3: Cheers, Reg. Thanks for listening to Dublin Stock and Sport on Sunshine 106.8 from
2: myself, Ken and Reggie. Have a good weekend.